0: Chapters fifteen and sixteen of *The Avenger* by E. Phillips Oppenheim. This Librebox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Tom Weiss. Chapter fifteen: The Lawyer's Suggestion. The offices of Mr. Bentham were situated at the extreme end of a dingy, depressing-looking street which ran from the Adelphi to the Embankment Gardens. It was a street of private hotels which no one had ever heard of and where, apparently, no one ever stayed. A few cranky institutions, existing under the excuse of charity, had their offices there, and a firm of publishers whose glory was of the past still dragged out their uncomfortable and profitless existence in a building whose dusty windows and smoke-stained walls sufficiently proclaimed their fast-approaching extinction. They found the name of Mr. Bentham upon a rusty brass plate outside the last building in the street, with the additional intimation that his offices were upon the first floor. There they found him, without clerks, without even an errand-boy, in a large bare apartment overlooking the embankment. The room was darkened by the branches of one of a row of elm-trees, and the windows themselves were curtainless. There was no carpet upon the floor, no paper upon the walls, no rows of tin boxes, none of the usual surroundings of a lawyer's office. The solicitor, who had bidden them enter, did not at first offer them any salutation. He paused in a letter which he was writing, and his eyes rested for a moment upon Wrayson, and for a second or two longer upon his companion. "'Good afternoon, Mr. Bentham,' Wrayson said. "'My name is Wrayson. You remember me, I dare say?' "'I remember you certainly, Mr. Wrayson," the lawyer answered. His eyes were resting once more upon Sidney Barnes.' This, Wrayson explained, is Mr. Sidney Barnes, a brother of the Mr. Morris Barnes, who was, I believe, a client of yours. Scarcely, the lawyer murmured, a client of mine, although I must confess that I was anxious to secure him as one. Possibly, if he had lived a few more hours, the epithet would have been in order. Wrayson nodded. From a letter which we found in Mr. Barnes' desk, he remarked, we concluded that some business was pending between you hence our visit mr bentham betrayed no sign of interest or curiosity of any sort i regret he said that i cannot offer you chairs i am not accustomed to receive my clients here if you care to be seated upon that form pray do so wrayson glanced at the form and declined sidney barnes seemed scarcely to have heard the invitation his eyes were glued upon the lawyer's face "'Will you tell me precisely,' Mr. Bentham said, "'in what way I can be of service to you?' "'I want to know where my brother's money is,' Barnes declared, stepping a little forward. Two thousand a year he had. We've seen it in his bank book. Five hundred pounds every quarter day. And we can't find a copper. You were his lawyer, or were going to be. You must have known something about his position.' Mr. Bentham looked straight ahead with still, impassive face. No trace of the excitement in Sidney Barnes' face was reflected in his features. Two thousand a year, he repeated calmly. It was really as much as that, was it? Your brother had, I believe, once mentioned the amount to me. I had no idea, though, that it was quite so large. I am his heir, the young man declared feverishly. I'll take my oath there's no one else. I'm going to take out letters of administration. He hadn't another relation on God's earth. Mr. Bentham regarded the young man thoughtfully. "'Have you any idea, Mr. Barnes, as to the source of this income?' "'Of course I haven't,' Barnes answered. "'That's why we're here. You must know something about it.' "'Your brother was not my client,' the lawyer said slowly. "'If his death had not been quite so sudden, I think that he might have been. As it is, I know very little of his affairs. I am afraid that I can be of very little use to you.' "'You must know something,' Barnes declared doggedly. "'You must tell us what you do know.' "'Your brother was,' Mr. Bentham said, "'a very remarkable man. "'Has it never occurred to you, Mr. Barnes, "'that this two thousand a year might have been money received in payment "'of services rendered? "'Might have been, in short, in the nature of a salary?' "'Not likely,' Barnes answered contemptuously. "'Morris did no work at all. "'He did nothing but just enjoy himself and spend money.' "'Nothing but enjoy himself and spend money,' Mr. Bentham repeated. "'Ah, did you see a great deal of your brother during the last few years?' "'I saw nothing of him at all. I was out in South Africa. I have only just got back. Not but that I'd been here long ago,' the young man added, with a note of exasperation in his tone, if I'd had any idea of the luck he was in. Why, I lent him a bit to come back with, though I was only earning thirty bob a week.' and the brute only sent it to me back in bits and not a farthing over that was not considerate of him mr bentham agreed not at all considerate your brother had the command of considerable sums of money in fact mr barnes i may tell you without any breach of confidence that i think that if he had kept his appointment with me on the night when he was murdered i was prepared on behalf of my client to hand him a cheque for ten thousand pounds barnes struck the table before him with his clenched fist for what he cried hysterically ten thousand pounds for what your brother mr bentham said calmly was possessed of securities which were worth that much or even more to my client and where are they now barnes guessed i don't know mr bentham answered if you can find them i think it very likely that my client might make you a similar offer it was the first ray of hope Barnes moistened his dry lips with his tongue, and drew a long breath. Securities, he muttered. What sort of securities? There, unfortunately, Mr. Bentham said, I am unable to help you. I am an agent only in the matter. They were securities which my client was anxious to buy, and your brother was not unwilling to sell for cash, notwithstanding the income which they were bringing him in. But how can I look for them if I don't know what they are? Barnes protested there are difficulties certainly the lawyer admitted carefully polishing his spectacles with the corner of a silk handkerchief but then as you have doubtless surmised the whole situation is a difficult one you can get to know barnes exclaimed your client would tell you mr bentham sighed gently of course he said i am only quoting my own opinion but i do not think that my client would do anything of the sort these securities happen to be of a somewhat secret nature your brother was in a position to make an exceedingly clever use of them it appears incidentally to have cost him his life but there are risks of course in every profession barnes stared at him with wide-open eyes he seemed for the moment struck dumb wrayson who had been silent during the greater part of the conversation turned towards the lawyer you believe then he asked that morris barnes was murdered for the sake of these securities i believe nothing the lawyer answered it is not my business to believe mr morris barnes was in the receipt of an income of two thousand a year which we might call dividend upon these securities my client through me made mr barnes a cash offer to buy them outright and although i must admit that mr barnes had not closed with us yet i believe that he was on the point of doing so he had doubtless had it brought home to him there was a certain amount of danger associated with his position generally. The night on which my client arrived in England was the night upon which Mr. Morris Barnes was murdered. The inference to be drawn from this circumstance I can leave, I am sure, to the common sense of you two gentlemen. First, then, Wrayson said, it would appear that he was murdered by the people who were paying him two thousand a year, and who were acting in opposition to your client. Mr. Bentham shrugged his shoulder gently it does not sound unreasonable he admitted and secondly wrayson continued if that was so he was probably robbed of these securities at the same time now that also mr Bentham said smoothly sounds reasonable but as a matter of fact he continued looking down upon the table there are certain indications which go to disprove it my personal opinion is that the assassin granted that there was an assassin and, granted that he was acting on behalf of the parties we have referred to, met with the disappointment. "'In plain words,' Wrayson interrupted, "'you mean that the other side have not possessed themselves of the securities?' "'They certainly have not,' Mr. Bentham declared. "'They still remain, the property by inheritance of this young gentleman here, Mr. Sidney Barnes, I believe.' His tone was so even, so expressionless, that its slightest changes were noticeable. It seemed to Rayson that a faint note of sarcasm had crept into these last few words. Mr. Barnes himself, however, was quite oblivious of it. His yellow-stained fingers were spread out upon the table. He leaned over towards the lawyer. His under-lip protruded. His deep-set eyes seemed closer than ever together. He was grimly, tragically, in earnest. "'Look here,' he said. "'What can I do to get hold of them? I don't care what it is. I'm game.' I'll deal with your man-the cash client. I'll give you a commission. See five per cent on all I get. How's that? I'll play fair. Now chuck away all this mystery. What were these securities? Where shall I start looking for them? Mr. Bentham regarded him with stony face. There are certain points, he said, upon which I cannot enlighten you. My duty to my client forbids it. I cannot describe to you the nature of those securities. I cannot suggest where you should look for them. All that I can say is that they are still to be found, and that my client is still a buyer.' The young man turned to Wrayson. His face was twitching with some emotion, probably anger. "'Did you ever hear such valley rot?' he exclaimed. "'He knows all about these securities all right. They belong to me. He ought to be made to tell.' Wrayson shrugged his shoulders. "'It does seem rather a wild goose chase, doesn't it?' he remarked. "'Can't you tell him a little more, Mr. Bentham?' Mr. Bentham sighed, as though his impotence were a matter of sincere regret to him. "'The only advice I can offer Mr. Barnes,' he said, "'is that he induce you to aid him in the search. Between you I should never be surprised to hear of your success.' "'And why,' Wrayson asked, "'should you consider me such a useful ally?' Mr. Bentham looked at him steadily for a moment. "'You appear to me,' he said.' to be a young man of intelligence, and you know how to keep your own counsel. I should consider Mr. Barnes very fortunate if you could make up your mind to aid him in his search. "'It is not my affair,' Wrayson answered stiffly. "'I could not possibly pledge myself to enter upon such a wild goose chase.' Mr. Bentham turned over some papers which lay upon the table before him. He had apparently had enough of the conversation. "'You must not call it exactly that, Mr. Rayson,' he said. "'Mr. Barnes' success in his quest would probably result in an act of justice to society. To you personally, I should imagine it would be expressly interesting.' "'What do you mean?' Rayson asked quickly. The lawyer looked at him calmly. "'It would solve the mystery of Morris Barnes' murder,' he answered. Rayson touched his companion on the shoulder. "'I think that we might as well go,' he said. Mr. Bentham does not mean to tell us anything more. Barnes moved slowly towards the door, but with reluctance manifested in his sullen face and manner. "'I don't know how I'm going to set about this job,' he said, turning once more towards the lawyer. "'I shall do what I can, but you haven't seen the last of me yet, Mr. Bentham. If I fail, I shall come back to you.' The lawyer shrugged his shoulders. He was already absorbed in other work. End of chapter 15 CHAPTER Sixteen: A DINNER IN THE STRAND Rayson was conscious, from the moment they left Mr. Bentham's office, of a change in the deportment of the young man who walked by his side. A variety of evil passions had developed at least one more tolerable. He was learning the lesson of self-restraint. He did not speak until they reached the corner of the street. "'Where can we get a drink?' he asked almost abruptly. "'I want some brandy.' wrayson took him to a bar close by they sat in a quiet corner i want to ask you something he said leaning half-way over the little table between them how much do you know about the lady who came into my brother's flat when we were there the direct significance of the question startled wrayson this young man was beginning to think how much do i know of her he repeated very little she is really a baroness not one of those faked-up ones "'She is undoubtedly the Baroness de Sturm,' Wrayson answered a little stiffly. "'And she has plenty of coin?' "'Certainly,' Wrayson answered. "'She is a great lady, I believe, in her own country.' Barnes struck the table softly with the flat of his hand. His eyes were searching for his answer in Wrayson's face, almost before the words had left his lips. "'Do you believe, then,' he asked, "'that a woman like that wrote love-letters to Morris? "'You knew Morris.' He was what those sort of people call a bounder, same as me. If he knew her at all, it was a wonder. I can't believe in the love letters. Wrayson shrugged his shoulders. The whole affair, he declared, everything connected with your brother, is so mysterious that I really don't know what to say. You knew Morris, the young man persisted. You know the Baroness. Set them down side by side. They don't go, eh? You know that. Morris could talk himself up as much as he liked. And he was always a good'un at that when he had the brass, but he'd never be able to make himself her sort. And if she's a real lady and wasn't after the brass, then I don't believe that she ever wrote him love letters. What? Wrayson said nothing. The young man held out his empty glass to a waiter. More brandy, he ordered briefly. Look here, Mister Wrayson, he added, adopting once more his mysterious manner. Those love letters don't go. What did the Baroness want in my brother's flat? she struck me dumb when i first saw her i admitted i'd have swallowed anything more fool me i tell you though i'm not having any more will you come along with me to her house now and see if we can't make her tell us the truth rayson shook his head deliberately mr barnes he said i am sorry to disappoint you and i sympathize very much with your position but you mustn't take it for granted that i am shall we say your ally in this matter I haven't either the time or the patience to give to investigations of this sort. I have done what I could for you, and I will give you what advice I can, or help you in any way if you care to come and see me, but you mustn't count on anything else.' Barnes's face dropped. He was obviously disappointed. "'You won't come and see the Baroness with me even?' he asked. "'I think not,' Rayson answered. "'To tell you the truth, I don't think that it would be of any use.' even if your suspicions are correct and you scarcely know what you suspect do you the baroness is much too clever a woman to allow herself to be pumped by either you or me wrayson felt himself subjected for several moments to the scrutinizing stare of those blinking unpleasant eyes you're not taking her sight against me are you barnes asked distrustfully certainly not wrayson answered impatiently you must be reasonable my young friend i have done what i can to put you in the way of helping yourself but i am a busy man i have my own affairs to look after and i can't afford to play the part of a twentieth-century don quixote i understand the young man said slowly you are going to turn me up you are putting a very foolish construction upon what i have said wrayson answered irritably i have gone out of my way to help you but frankly i think that yours is a wild-goose chase Barnes rose to his feet and finished his brandy. "'I don't believe it,' he declared. "'I'm going to have that two thousand a year if I have to take that man Bentham by the throat and strangle the truth out of him. If I can't find out without, I'll make him tell me the truth if I swing for it, By God, I will!' They left the place together and walked towards the corner of the street. "'I shouldn't do anything rash if I were you,' Wrayson said. "'I fancy you'd find Bentham a pretty tough sort to tackle.' "'You must excuse me now. "'I am going into the club for a few minutes.' "'How are you, Rayson?' "'A quiet voice asked behind. "'Rayson turned round abruptly. "'It was Stephen Hinaj who had greeted him, "'the one man whom, at that moment, "'he was least anxious to meet of any person in the world. "'Already he could see that Hanage was taking quiet "'but earnest note of his companion.' "'Rayson nodded a little abruptly "'and left Barnes without any further farewell.' coming round to the club he asked heneage assented, and glanced carelessly behind at barnes who was walking slowly in the opposite direction who's your friend he asked you shook him off a little suddenly didn't you he is not a friend Wrayson answered and i was trying to get rid of him when you came up he is nobody of any account Hanage shook his head thoughtfully it won't do Wrayson," he said that young man possessed a cast of features which are positively unmistakable What do you mean? Rayson demanded. I mean that he was a relation, and a near relation, too, I should imagine, of your deceased friend, Morris Barnes, Heneage answered coolly. I shall be obliged to make that young man's acquaintance. Damn you and your prying! Rayson exclaimed angrily. I wish! He stopped abruptly. Heneage was already retracing his steps. Rayson, after a moment's indecision, went on to the club and made his way at once to the billiard room. The colonel was sitting in his usual corner chair, watching a game of pool, beaming upon everybody with his fatherly smile, encouraging the man who met with ill luck, and applauding the successful shots. He was surrounded by his cronies, but he held out his hand to Rayson, who leaned against the wall by his side, and waited for his opportunity. The "'Colonel,' he said at last in his ear, taking advantage of the applause which followed a successful shot, "'I want half an hour's talk with you, quite by ourselves.' "'Can you slip away and come and dine with me somewhere?' The colonel looked dubious. "'I'm afraid they won't like it,' he answered. "'Freddy and George are here, and Tempest's coming in later.' "'I can't help it,' Wrayson answered. "'You can guess what it's about. It's a serious matter.' The colonel sighed. "'We might find an opportunity later on,' he suggested. "'It won't do,' Wrayson answered. "'I want to get right away from here. I wouldn't bother you if it wasn't necessary.' I'm sure you wouldn't, the colonel admitted. We'll slip away quietly when this game is over. It won't be long. Good shot, Freddy. Sixpence, you divide. They found themselves in the Strand about half an hour later. Where shall we go? Wrayson asked. Somewhere quiet. Across the way, the colonel answered. We shan't see anyone we know there. Wrayson nodded and they crossed the street and entered Luigi's. It was early for diners and they found a small table in a retired corner rayson ordered the dinner and then leaned across the table towards his guest it's that barnes matter colonel he said quietly heneage has taken it up and means going into it thoroughly he saw me letting your daughter out that night the colonel was in the act of helping himself to an hors d'oeuvre his fork remained suspended for a moment in the air then he set it down with trembling fingers the cheery light had faded from his face he seemed suddenly older. His voice sounded unnatural. Hanage, he repeated sharply. Stephen Hanage? What affair is it of his?' "'None,' Wrayson answered. "'He likes that sort of thing, that's all. He saw your daughter with a lady, the baroness disturbed, and the seeing them together, after he had watched her come out of the flat that night, seemed to suggest something to him.' He warned me that he had made up his mind to solve the mystery of Morris Barnes' murder. He advised me, in fact, to clear out. And now, since then... The waiter brought the soup. Rayson broke off and talked for a moment or two to the maitre d'hôtel who had passed at their table. Presently, when they were alone, he went on. Since then, a young brother of Barnes has turned up from South Africa. There was some mystery about Morris Barnes and the source of his income. THE BROTHER IS JUST AS DETERMINED TO SOLVE THIS AS HANAGE SEEMS TO BE TO DISCOVER THE MURDERER. THEY WILL WORK TOGETHER AND I AM AFRAID. NOT FOR MYSELF. YOU KNOW FOR WHOM. THE COLONEL WAS VERY GRAVE. HE ATE SLOWLY AND HE SEEMED TO BE THINKING. THERE IS ONE MAN, A SOLICITOR, NAMED BENTHAM, Wrayson CONTINUED, WHO I BELIEVE KNOWS EVERYTHING, BUT I DO NOT THINK THAT EVEN HANAGE WILL BE ABLE TO MAKE HIM SPEAK. His connection with the affair is on behalf of a mysterious client. Young Barnes and I went to see him this afternoon, but beyond encouraging the boy to search for the source of his brother's income, he won't open his mouth.' "'A solicitor named Bentham,' the Colonel repeated mechanically. "'Ah!' "'Do you know him?' Wrayson asked. "'I have heard of him,' the Colonel answered. "'A most disreputable person, I believe. He has offices in the Adelphi.' Wrayson nodded and whatever his business is, he continued, it isn't the ordinary business of a solicitor. He has no clerks, not even an office-boy. The colonel poured himself out a glass of wine. No clerks, not even an office-boy. It all agrees with what I have heard. A bad lot, Wrayson. I am afraid, a thoroughly bad lot. Are you sure that up to now he has kept his own counsel? I am sure of it, Wrayson answered. The colonel seemed in some measure to have recovered himself. He looked Wrayson in the face, and though grave, his expression was decidedly more natural. Herbert, he said, sinking his voice almost to a whisper, "'Who do you believe murdered Mars Barnes?' "'God knows,' Wrayson answered. "'Do you believe that my daughter had any hand in it?' "'No,' Wrayson declared fiercely. The colonel was silent for a moment. He seemed to be contemplating the label on the bottle of the claret which reposed in its cradle by their side and yet he said thoughtfully she would necessarily be involved in any disclosures which were made and so should i Wrayson declared and those two sidney barnes and hanage mean to bring about disclosures that is why i felt i must talk to someone about this colonel can't you get your daughter to tell us the whole truth what she was doing in barnes flat that night and all the rest of it? We should be forewarned, then. The colonel covered his face with his hand for a moment. The question obviously distressed him. "'I can't, Herbert,' he said in a low tone. "'You would scarcely think, would you, that I was the sort of man to live on irreconcilable terms with one of my own family. But there it is. Don't think hardly of her. It is more the fault of circumstances than her fault. But I couldn't go to see her. AND SHE WOULDN'T COME TO SEE ME.' Wrayson sighed. "'It is like the rest of this cursed mystery, utterly incomprehensible,' he declared. "'I shall never—' With his glass half raised to his lips, he paused suddenly in his sentence. His face became a steady in the expression of a boundless amazement. His eyes were fastened upon the figures of two people on their way up the room, preceded by the smiling maitre d'hotel some words or rather an exclamation broke incoherently from his lips he set down his glass hurriedly and a stain of red wine crept unheeded across the tablecloth look he whispered hoarsely look chapter sixteen recording by tom weiss tom's dot